for this. What is nothing? Now that's deep. What in the fuck are we doing here? That's deep, bro. How are you? I'm Christina Pajitsky. Welcome to That's Deep, Bro. Serious questions with silly people. Uh, I like talking to you guys. <laughs> I feel like we're friends. Are we not friends? Of course we're friends. I'm going to stop this music. Anyways, hi guys. Thanks for, uh, for downloading the show. I'm so excited for today's topic. This I've wanted to do since the beginning of the show. I have wanted to cover Nietzsche, The Genealogy of Morals, which I think is... One of the most exciting books in philosophy, a book that, you know, blew my mind open uh, at a very young age, and I think formed a lot of my personality and a lot of my belief systems, and um, I'm going to go through it with you, and I'm going to try to make it, (laughs) try to make it palatable, you know, it doesn't, uh, but Nietzsche's a pretty fun read, anyways, I don't think he's that boring, I think you're going to dig it. Um, but yes, before that, please support my show by shopping with my Amazon banner. And somebody wrote in and said, what the fuck? What the fuck, lady? What does that mean? Let me tell you what that means. So here's how it works. You go to my uh, website, that's com, And there are blog posts and entries at the bottom of each post is a little square that says Amazon. Click on that and it takes you to amazon.com and you shop as you normally would. Yeah, there's nothing special to it. There's there. It's just that it's like a portal, like a space portal in time and space. And you do your shopping and it just magically knows through codes and uh, zeros and ones. The matrix knows everything. You guys, I got my tea today. I'm so excited. My throat coat tea. Doesn't that sound disgusting? It's the best tea, but it's like the grossest name ever. Um, also, let's see what else do I have. Oh, hey. I'm doing stand-up in Cincinnati at uh, Go Bananas the week of April 23rd, uh, April 23rd, 24th, and 25th. And guess what? And we haven't even announced this yet, but on my other podcast, Your Mom's House, we will be doing live on that Sunday of that week, which is really exciting. My husband and I are you know, going to come with me that week. Um, you know, I kept him company this week in Virginia Beach because it, it's sometimes it's so long to be away from th- your beloved Uh, So we sacrifice, we make the ultimate sacrifice, and we spend time with the other person, Um, which basically means I spent this last week uh, in a hotel room in Virginia Beach in a mall, you know, the same mall that's in every city in America. And it literally is a mall that is designed, I think, by one developer. It's the same goddamn mall that's in uh, Toledo, the same mall that's in Indianapolis, the same mall you'll see in, you know... I don't know, Perrysburg, Ohio, whatever the hell. It's all the same. And so I spent the weekend in a mall, which is why I didn't have my show ready in time. So apologies. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to switch my drop date of this show to Tuesdays because I'm usually traveling Mondays. And internet connections and hotels are a GD disaster. It, you can't you can't do it. And I, rec- I actually recorded the episode already, and then I had problems. The recording sounded garbagey. And you know what I thought? I thought, hey, man, hey, man, if you're going to cover Friedrich Nietzsche, 
the Madonna of the philosophy world. If you're going to cover somebody so big, so important in Western thought, you're going to do that in a hotel room? Okay, you're going to do that on a bed in a hotel room. Or are you going to do it in your professional studio, you know, looking at pictures of your dog, looking at various pieces of uh, fecal art that people have made for my husband and I, for your mom's house. You know what I'm saying? You feel me what I'm talking about? No, I'm going to give this uh, podcast the honor that it deserves, and we're going to do this in my home studio. I'm so excited. Let's get. Let's just kick it off. I'm going to start uh, with uh, something a little silly. This is one of my... Uh, oh, hold on. <laughs> I love this so much. This is one of my favorite. All right, guys. Frederick Nietzsche. Good evening. Uh, would you care for something to talk about? Oh, that would be wonderful. Our special tonight is minorities. Oh, that sounds real interesting. Um, what's this conversation here? That's uh, uh, football. You can talk about the Steelers-Bears game Saturday, or you could uh, reminisce about really great World Series. No, oh, no, no. What is this one here? Uh, that's philosophy. Is that a sport? Uh, no, it's more of an attempt to uh, construct a viable hypothesis to uh, explain the meaning of life. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Would you like to talk about the meaning of life, darling? Sure. Why not? Philosophy for two? Right. Rum? Two, five, nine. Two, five, nine. Yeah. Uh, uh, how do we... Oh, uh, you folks want me to start you off? Oh, really? We'd appreciate that. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, <clears throat> look, have you ever wondered just why you're here? Well, we went to Miami last year and California the year before that. No, 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 no. I mean, uh, why we're here on this planet. No. Right. Uh, you ever wanted to know what it's all about? Nope. <laughs> Righty-ho. Uh, well, uh, see, throughout history, there have been certain men and women who tried to find a solution to the mysteries of existence. Great. And we call these guys philosophers. Oh. And that's what we're talking about. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's neat. Well, you look like you're getting the idea. So why don't I give you these uh, conversation cards? They'll tell you a little about philosophical method, oh. names of famous philosophers. They are. Uh, have a nice conversation. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. He's cute. Yeah, real. Yeah. Real understanding. Mm. Oh, I never knew Schopenhauer was a philosopher. Oh, yeah. He's the one that begins with an S. Oh. Um, like a Nietzsche. Does Nietzsche begin with an S? Uh, there's an S in Nietzsche. Oh, wow, yes, there is. Do all philosophers have an S in them? Uh, yeah, I think most of them do. Does that mean Selena Jones is a philosopher? Yeah, right, she could be. She sings about the meaning of life. Yeah, that's right. But I don't think she writes her own material. No. Oh, maybe Schopenhauer writes her material. No, Bert Bacharach writes it. But there's no S in Bert Bacharach. Or in Hal David. Who's Hal David? He writes the lyrics. Bert just writes the tunes, only now he's married to Carol Bayer Sega. A waiter, 
This conversation isn't very good. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. <laughs> there it is. Monty Python, uh, The Meaning of Life. Wasn't that the best movie ever? And I remember watching that as a kid and really not grasping a fraction of what those guys were talking about. And now as a grown-up, I understand just a little bit more. It's it's amazing that those guys made comedy out of Nietzsche and Schopenhauer and references to really, really deep stuff. Uh, I don't even know if you could do something like that today. But hey, man, that was the 70s and the 80s. That's pretty freaking cool. Uh, Woody Allen, too. He was always cracking jokes about... He had jokes about existentialism and metaphysics. I guess people were smoking a lot of dope in the 80s and the 70s and, you know, getting weird and getting high and wanting to get existential. And uh, I guess now people don't read philosophy, but they read, like, self-help, right? Is that what we're doing? We're all listening to Oprah. Oprah is our new guru. All right, so let's start this off. I'm going to uh, talk about, I got this email, man. I got this great email from this guy. I won't say his name. I don't, you know, I don't want to give away your guys' identities, but I read it and I was so, uh, I was intrigued. I was, I was uh, provoked into thought. Uh, he writes, you know, he had a kooky childhood. He says he's, uh, yeah, I grew up Mormon. Let's see, what's up with mom? Yeah, Mormon's bad enough, right? The only kid in elementary school with a single mother. Yeah, that, that back in the day, back in the 80s, that was a bummer, or the 70s even, you know. Uh, dad's out of the picture, and this this guy grew up Mormon. He writes, he writes. Uh, I always felt different, not real, really alone, more like an alien, an orphan. You talk about this some. I hated the feeling. I became an artist at age thirty because it was my dharma, but it again made me different. And um, anyways, I thought that was a, uh, I thought that was kind of uh, a really neat idea of uh, being the alien being different. I think that, you know, and any, oh, and he goes on to say that he likes that I, uh, that I like that about, about myself and I champion that because here's, here's the truth of it, guys. All right, listen, you're listening to this podcast because something in you knows that there's something out there that's different, right? You, you know it deep down in your heart. If you're listening to me, I, I think in your heart, you feel like an alien, like maybe you grew up weird. Maybe you maybe you know something's wrong. And if you don't know something's wrong, you're not looking. Cause I gotta tell you, man, if you don't if you don't think this world is whacked out, and uh, and if you don't get it, why everybody's really excited, uh, you know, about the next issue of Us Weekly, or I, I don't get it. You know what I mean? I, I don't get it. I don't get thigh gap, and I don't get. What is it? Vajazzling or wh whatever the kids are doing. If you don't feel like an alien, you're not doing life right. I mean, you're just not. It means you don't get it, okay? It means you're still in the matrix and Morpheus needs to unplug you. If you're not looking around and thinking, what in the fuck is going on here? You're not awake. Um, but the key to that, man, and, and, and the only remedy to that, because I'll tell you, once you take that blue pill or the red pill, whatever it is in the matrix, once you've taken the pill, once you've, <laughs> once you've been unplugged and you've been birthed in the mucus and the slime and the primordial ooze of, uh, of awakening, there's, there's no going back, bros. You're in it. You're in this world with me. We're in this together. And it's up to you. It's up to you uh, 
to live in this in this in this alien to be an alien in in a world a crazy fucking world you know well it's your burden but it's also your privilege and i i think that you got to it's the aliens that change stuff you know it's the aliens who create great art it's the aliens uh you know it's it's Joan of Arc Joan of Arc was a weirdo right Steve Jobs i'm sure that guy's a total weirdo growing up Richard Branson, all of these people through history, Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, alien, okay? But, hey, man, don't let, the, don't let the normals define you. You define yourself. Don't let society tell you how to be, you know? And there's a lot of goddamn dream crushers out there, too. You're going you're gonna to encounter dream crushers, people who mean well, but they are crippled by fear. They are so goddamn full of fear, fear of you being successful, fear of, of you failing, maybe, 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 I don't know, but they're full of fear. Don't you dare listen to those detractors. Don't you dare listen to your haters because they're out there. And there could be people that, uh, that love you, that are close to you, that maybe, you know, you're triggering some stuff in them, but I don't, I don't take advice from the chickens. Those people are chickens, the haters. The, uh, you know, the dream crushers. Don't listen to chickens. Don't you listen to chickens when you are a lion, goddammit. You're a lion and you're forging your own path. You are assuming the will to power. You hear me? You are the Uberman. You're living by your own rules. You can do it, damn it. <laughs> uh, who knows? Anyway, so today is about Friedrich Nietzsche, my absolute favorite favorite philosopher for many, many reasons. He's essentially, I think, one of the most popular. Everybody has heard of Friedrich Nietzsche. He's referenced in pop culture. He's the superstar. He is the Madonna. This guy is the prince of of Western thought. And a lot of people in the 60s picked him up. Uh, artists love him. Uh, and he's also super misunderstood. He's one of those philosophers Unfortunately, um, his work became affiliated with the Nazis. Uh, we'll get into that in a moment. But it, it, essentially what happened is his a-hole sister, he had a, a sister who was caring for him when he had a mental collapse. His, he faded uh, at the end of his life. And apparently she took the liberty of reworking his, his writing to suit uh, the Nazis. She was a, a raging anti-Semite. And that tarnished Nietzsche's uh, reputation, unfortunately, and tarnished a lot of the meaning of his work. Nietzsche was never an anti-Semite. In fact, he hated the nationalism in Germany of his time. He hated Christianity, which is, you know, it stems from Judaism. He hated, um, he hated their morality. He didn't like what he saw. And in fact, he renounced his citizenship, his German citizenship, and he lived, he was, I think he petitioned to become a Switzerland, to, to be a Swiss, Swiss, Swiss citizen. But he spent the, the most of his life being kind of a homeless guy, bouncing around. And that's when he wrote some of the craziest shit you can ever imagine. So here's his life, just so you get a little taste of what this guy. <laughs> so he's born October 15th, 1844 in Rücken by Lutzen. 
Rüchen bei Lützen. Jeez, what a language, German, huh? I studied German for three years in college. I barely could do it because they, they crammed together five words to make one, right? Ridiculous. So Nietzsche's born in Leipzig. And uh, poor guy. So he's five years old when his father passes away of a brain ailment. And then just six months later, his two-year-old brother Ludwig dies. So now Nietzsche is left to be raised by his mother, his grandmother, his father's two sisters, and his younger sister, Teresa. That's the cool one. The cool one that ruined his, his legacy. She's the fun one. So uh, Nietzsche goes to boarding school, thank God, to get out of that house of broads. A lot of people think Nietzsche hates women. And I can't really speak on that. I don't know if he hates, but I tell you, it couldn't have been easy for him to grow up in a house full of broads nagging him. That's for sure. So Nietzsche studies philology, philology, uh, a discipline which was then centered upon the interpretation of classical and biblical texts is what I'm reading from this Wikipedia or some fucking thing. I pulled this off the internet. Philology. So he's familiar with biblical texts. And also his father was a Lutheran. He's got like this Christian stuff in his blood. Basically, it's in his family. So at the age of 21, uh, he reads Schopenhauer, this other philosopher, this other German guy, and he gets really nutty for Schopenhauer. And basically, all of Nietzsche's work, well, at least I know the genealogy of morals is kind of in response to Schopenhauer. So it's a major influence on him, as well as a fr- his friendship with Wagner this pianist at the time the, the, you know they were bffs they were butt buddies they have a falling out and then nietzsche forever hates wagner and he shits on him a lot which is really funny and you can actually see the trajectory of their friendship <laughs> it's like the artist is fantastic he's referring to wagner and then he and wagner have a rift and he's like ah fuck the artist this guy doesn't know what he's talking about which is hilarious so 23 years old little frederick goes to the military and he got an accident there. He was uh, trying to mount a horse, and he suffered some kind of chest injury. And um, they put him on sick leave because his chest refused to heal. Um, they, you know, they say that he witnessed some trauma in battle, and that is where he may have contracted uh, syphilis in addition to diphtheria and dysentery. Nietzsche eventually goes insane, and a lot of pe- there's a lot of speculation over what may have caused it. Some people think it's good old-fashioned syphilis, right? Maybe Nietzsche was banging whores. Mostly, I don't know, right? He was a soldier. That's what they do. He, he never married, and uh, he had one girlfriend, they think. You know, there's rumors that he may have been a homosexual, and maybe this contributed to his way of thinking. Who the, f- you know, who knows? The point is, by the time this guy's 24 years old, uh, let's see, I think he was like, he had already published work. And by the time he's like in his late 20s, he's already a professor at the University of Basel. Basel. The guy is uh, really, really intellectually gifted. And then... <laughs> comes the mental collapse. So there's this wonderful story about Nietzsche that floated around when I was an undergrad that the last sane moment of Nietzsche, because he, he went bonkers at the end of his life. He died at 53. 
And the last time he was seen in public, he was like 44 years old, I believe. There's so many different accounts. So forgive me if you guys have heard differently. It's just that I, you know, there's so many different stories about Nietzsche. So the story goes, Nietzsche's last sane moment is that he was looking out the window and he was watching a horse getting beaten. And he's so overcome with emotion for this horse that he runs into the street. He throws his arms around the horse and like begins weeping un- uncontrollably uh, to protect the horse. He's protecting the horse, and then he collapses to the ground. And that's it. That's the end of Nietzsche's. That's Nietzsche's last sane moment, which is uh, pretty dramatic. And I think that's really what why people love this guy. It's it's not you know he's got this tr- this this crazy life, right? He he has a brain ailment, and he's he's wilding out. And his writing is wild. I mean, I'm, we're going to do the genealogy of morals today, which I think is one of the most, uh, it gets credit for being one of the, the most cogent, the best, I guess you would say, works from him. But if you pick up Nietzsche, it's a fucking amazing read, okay? This guy makes the craziest statements and assertions, and he, you know, his style is just flagrant and not at all my dear sir like he's just he's so dramatic and he's so just uh ridiculous you know he's making really bold claims and he you know in this book alone he also <laughs> you know he, okay so this is the genealogy of morals and eke homo eke homo <laughs> get it eke homo and uh there's there's essays with titles like why i am so clever why I write such great books. <laughs> Hold on. where? Wait, why I am so wise. Why I am so clever. He's crazy. Why I write such good books. So there's definitely a sense of humor. And thus spoke Zarathustra is one of his major pieces of fiction that people know. It's not really, you know, if you pick up thus spoke Zarathustra, it's, it's, a, it's a story. It's not... Uh, straight up philosophy so a lot of people find that one really accessible he's so cheeky he's such a little shit so even under thus spoke Zarathustra it says a book for all and none what could that possibly mean a book for all and none like really what a turd so he's saying I think hey it's a book for everyone but bunch of you are probably too stupid to even know what I'm talking about because I'm so amazing I'm so I'm so wise I'm so clever you're probably not even going to get it. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? Uh, I love his arrogance. He's so arrogant. And, and he's got these great aphorisms. I, if, if anything, check out Nietzsche's. There's a book, Human All Too Human. And he's got these great aphorisms, these short little pithy sayings. Because I think Nietzsche really liked the Greeks. He likes the Greeks. He likes kind of the beginning of philosophy, which I, I tend to lean to also because like he doesn't get into all he doesn't like Nietzsche doesn't like Kant he's he doesn't like this horse shit of some kind of other world where forms exist and we have to we have to defer to a world outside of our own for moral for morals for guidance for for knowledge he's like why why are we doing that let's fucking let's look at what we have let's look at reality so here's here's some great aphorisms. I'll read you a few of these. This is fantastic. This is a aphorism 301 
in The Wanderer and His Shadow. I think this is from Human All to Human, if I'm not mistaken. It's all, it's all in one big book I have here. The Walter Kaufman translation. I highly recommend, if you're going to read The genealogy, genealogy of Morals, read the Walter Kaufman edition. He's known for being one of the most reputable translators and interpreters of Nietzsche. So this one's great. Okay. 301, A Testimony of Love. Somebody said, about two persons I have never reflected very thoroughly. That is the testimony of my love for them. <laughs> Get it? He's saying he doesn't. Look, if you love someone, you don't want to fucking think about what a creep they are. You don't want to reflect on their flaws very thoroughly. I think that's, and that's the truth, right? There's a, there's a handful of people on this planet that I absolutely adore and in my mind can do no wrong, okay? And that's just because I don't want to look for the flaws. I just love them so much. What a wonderful thing. Okay, this one's great too. Excuse me. Death. Death. The certain prospect of death could sweeten every life with a precious and fragrant drop of levity. And now you strange apothecary souls have turned it into an ill-tasting drop of poison that makes the whole of life repulsive. (laughs) Right? So he's saying, hey, look, we all know death is coming. Why not think of it as, you know, a little nudge to, uh, to, to lighten up, bros? Lighten up, man. You're going to die. Instead, we, we, we make it poison our entire existence, which is really true. Nietzsche knows truth, bros. He's, he, he hits the nail on the head about a lot of shit. And he's a little bit wacky, which is why I like him. Okay, here's one, another one. Laughter. Laughter means being schadenfroh but with a good conscience. <laughs> schadenfroh is to laugh at another's misfortune. It's a wonderful German word. If you don't know, schaden, schadenfroh. Laughing at someone's misfortune. And ain't that the truth? Laughter is laughing at someone's misfortune, but with a good conscience. Bad conscience, uh, meaning punishment, I believe, in, 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 in Nietzsche's world. So, so that's the preface. So what would we say? Okay, he's not an anti-Semite, guys. We know that. Uh, oh, Heidegger loved him. Heidegger really uh, picked up what he was putting down. And unfortunately, Heidegger was, at, and now it's official, uh, was a Nazi towards the end of, of his philosophical reign. And that really puts into question a lot of his thought. <laughs> that really kind of skews a person, huh? When you find out... <laughs> Just a little bit of Nazi affiliation. What? What's the big deal? He's just behind the extermination of one entire race of people. What are you so? How could that possibly taint a man's thought? <laughs> also, also keep in mind with Nietzsche, with the extraordinariness of this man's talent is that towards the towards most of the time that he's writing the genealogy, Eke Homo, human all too human, the gay science. Zarathustra, all these books, he is in excruciating pain and discomfort from his brain ailments, from, you know, whatever fucking strokes, whatever the crap this guy was having. Can you imagine that? Being so prolific in the midst of searing pain and discomfort? Like, I, 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 you know, I get a bout of diarrhea and I'm, I'm down for the day. Like, forget it. I get a headache and I'm like, nah, let's just cancel it. Let's can't, I can't. Right? A hangnail. Forget it. I can't do it. I have so much admiration for people that press on um, despite crippling physical 
and emotional problems because I am not one of those people, I'll tell you that. Okay, so we got to the sister. All right, here we go. Let's get into this. I'm sorry, I'm looking at my notes, you guys. In case if I stop, it's because I don't want to get this stuff wrong because I think that he's a really important thinker. Okay, so the genealogy of morals, it's broken down into three uh, essays, okay? And it starts, first of all, what is, what is a genealogy? What does that mean? A genealogy, he's going to trace the roots of something. The genealogy is to go back and find the roots of meaning, of words, of, of morality in this case, right? So he's, he's doing, he's going to go back and he's going to trace the roots of the meaning of morality. And he starts by having a discussion on good and bad, and he says, like, hey, guess what? Back in the day, back when nobles, aristocrats ruled things, you know, they they forced their will on their slaves. They uh, owned property. They, uh, you know, they they were active. They they may have punished their slaves. <laughs> they may have asserted their will on slaves. Um, and that was useful to them. Those actions were good. It was it was good to beat your slaves. It was good <laughs> to force your will on your lowly, lowly slaves. And bad, bad meant it just didn't serve you. It didn't, it didn't do you. It was the kind of actions that like just it just didn't it didn't serve your purpose. And what happens is those values of good and bad, it's called the transvaluation of transvaluation becomes flipped. So good meaning useful and bad meaning not useful gets flipped by these slaves to mean uh, good and evil, but they change the meaning of good. Uh, so instead of saying, so what happens is, okay, so here's the problem with Nietzsche, okay? I'm going to be honest with you. In this book, he does talk about the Jews. He does talk about the Jews. But he also talks about the Christians picking up this this baton of thinking. So don't get crazy. So here's what happens. He talks about the Jews being slaves because, you know, that's that's what happened. They were slaves at one point in their lives. And the Jews, instead of picking up swords, he says the Jews took, quote, spiritual revenge by undermining the enemy's values. So what they did, the slaves, in essence, not liking being slaves, no kidding, right? Who the hell likes that? Rather than pick up swords, they inverted the meaning of good and bad. They said, no, no, no. Good isn't, isn't asserting your will on the poor. Good isn't uh, beating slaves. Good means uh, being meek, powerless, only the lowly, only the suffering, only the deprived, only the sick, the ugly, alone. Only those people are pious and are blessed by God. And the powerful people, they're not bad. They are evil. Evil! So bad, good and bad, now becomes completely flipped. You see what I'm saying? So now it's, it's only that wretchedness, impotence, poor, sick, us, the weak. The weak are good. And the powerful are evil, right? And that's how you get shit like, you know, hey, have you ever heard this one? This one used to make me bonkers. It still makes me nuts when people say things like, you know, the meek shall inherit the earth. No, they don't. <laughs> what, what earth are you living on? What earth are you living on that the meek 
inherit it. No, you know who inherits the earth? Bill Gates, uh, Donald Trump, Branson, uh, millionaires, people that exploit and, and use others generally. I'm not saying as a rule you have to be an exploiter to, uh, to be powerful, but yeah. And uh, so what happens is called a slave morality, and that's what's in Christianity, and that is what is, uh, is it has its origin in these Jewish slaves. The idea that impotence becomes a value. And you also hear things like, oh, this one made me nuts too growing up. I never freaking understood this. When when people would say like, hey, um, not people, I should say the Christian schools I grew up in. You know, you should, if someone attacks you, you got to turn the other cheek. You got to turn. <laughs> Isn't that the worst advice to give somebody who's being attacked? I can't think of 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 worst possible thing to tell somebody who's under attack or the other idea was turn the other cheek so that they can slap that one too. You out of your freaking mind. No, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. So, so that, that is the stat would Nietzsche would say that those types of thoughts are from a slave morality from the oppressed point of view and the oppressed turn what the powerful is doing into evil. And they, they trans, the transvaluation of morals is what he's saying. The impotent becomes good, the noble becomes bad. And slave morality grows out of, he says, resentment. Resentment's very important to know that morality comes from, not all morality, I should say the Judeo-Christian tradition is rooted in resentment. It is the impotent, the impotent, the powerless, they respond by making oppression a value and a virtue. So that's really under, the, the key to understanding a lot of what he's talking about. What they basically, these slaves make suffering a value. These Jewish slaves, they, they talk about suffering being some kind of noble thing. And that they do is they pass this baton on to the Christians, right? That's why you see the Jesus suffering on the cross. And that becomes the highest value. Suffering, essentially what is uh, impotence, powerlessness becomes a virtue becomes something seen as godliness <laughs> which again is something was so in, it's it's when you hear it broken down for you maybe i can find the actual text on it's page 34 and 35 here uh let's see Oh, here it goes. It was the Jews who, with awe-inspiring consistency, dared to invert the aristocratic value equation. Good equals noble equals powerful equals beautiful equals happy equals beloved of God. And to hang on to this inversion with their teeth, the teeth of the most abysmal hatred, the hatred of impotence, saying, quote, the wretched alone are good. The poor, impotent, lowly alone are the good. The suffering, deprived, sick, ugly alone are pious, alone are blessed by God. Blessedness is for them alone. And you, the powerful and noble, are on the contrary, the evil, the cruel, the lustful, the insatiable, the godless to all eternity. And you shall be in all eternity, the unblessed, the accursed and damned. And that's important here, too, is that it's not just, hey, you're a piece of shit. Now, it's that you're a piece of shit for all eternity. So that's an idea that comes, obviously, that's in the Christian tradition, which Nietzsche absolutely hates. This idea of eternal damnation. Of e one should be punished in the afterlife, even. <laughs> it's not enough that you got to suffer 
in this life. You got to suffer in the afterlife. And not only that, those who suffer in this life, does God give you, uh, do you get money? Does God give you a house? No. He's getting, but you'll get that later. That'll come later in the afterlife. So Nietzsche's kind of calling out the, the weirdness of this idea of like, you know, in the afterlife, you'll get your just desserts. It's, it's, it's lunacy. Oh, back to the suffering Jesus. I, I agree here with Nietzsche that it, I, I never understood why I never understood. And I, and I do love Christ, the teachings of Christ. I, I do think that Jesus is rad and I'm so down for all of it, but the suffering Christ, I never understood how his physical suffering is atonement for my sins. And not only that, I never understood being a small child in church, looking up at Jesus with all bloody with the, the nails through his feet and, and hands. And then the, the goddamn, the thorns and, and it's hor It's scary for a kid. And then when you ask somebody, well, why, why is this, why can't we have the nice God? You know, why is it the suffering? Well, that's because Jesus loves, he loves you. That guy loves you. That suffering, bloody, mess uh, at the front of the church. That guy really loves you. It's so confusing for a young, a young mind. Like, wait, why can't we get like the happy Buddha? What about the gold guy? The gold guy with the fat belly. He can't be our mascot. We have to have the suffering, the suffering one who whose dad puts him up to this. That's another one I never. His dad put him up to that mess. Oh boy, whatever. Love love Jesus. Not sure I understand the whole uh, the doctrine. It never made sense to me. Okay, so here we go. So slave morality comes about there by the slaves. It's rooted in resentment. It's rooted in saying no to the extramental world, to no to the world that exists. And it's reactionary. It's it's an opposition to a perceived threat. It's a building of morality from the outside. In you know what I'm saying? It's like they the, the the this way of being, this way of creating a system of morality. It's devised. It's a reactionary way of doing it. You know what I mean? It's like it's like saying. It's it's just it's it's not, instead of going looking from the inside out, which is what Nietzsche is going to propose later. That was the Uberman. It's like saying, "Nah, you guys suck. We're gonna come up with anything." It's like it's like you know what I'm saying? It's like haters. It's haters versus players. And <laughs> I'm, I know, I know. Uh, listen, did I say that I'm not an expert in philosophy? I'm not. I'm a comedian. I'm a stand-up comedian by trade. I just love all this crap, so I talk about it. But listen, if you if you were to break it down today, it's it's haters, haters versus it's the haters, the player haters, and the players. That's like saying morality is it, morality is developed by the haters, not the players. And that's exactly what Nietzsche's saying in today's. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's like, this philosophy is determined by the haters, not the players. The players, if the players made the rules, it would be much more life affirming, much more positive. They would not tell you to suffer in this life to get the rewards in the next world. What about the rewards to, for today? How about getting, how about asserting your will to power today? And that's what he's going to say, that virtues uh, are the virtues are built on 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 punishment, on denying one's noble power. 
you know? And how can they be virtues if they subjugate one's will to power, which is another phrase you hear a lot in Nietzsche, and you've heard that reference. What is the will to power? Honestly, sometimes I'm not sure. I read it. I, I think he just means asserting your will on the world. I think he means going out, taking life by the balls, and pulling as hard as you can. That's the will to power. The will to power... That's my dog snoring. I don't know if you can hear. Where is he? The will to power is asserting one's dominance in a sense of saying, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to adhere to your morality. I'm not going to do this. This is bullshit. I'm going to look inside. I'm going to be that space alien that I am. I'm going to look inward and I'm going to do what I think is, is, is right. I, I know. And I don't think that he necessarily condone he doesn't condone what the nazis did see this is how the nazis kind of corrupted the meaning of this <laughs> this uberman ubermensch uh the idea by the way so this is this the will to power leads into the ubermensch literally it's i i've always heard uberman which literally translates to the overman i believe the uberman is the next man meaning the evolved man okay and the Uberman is the man that asserts his will to power, claims his noble power, and makes ideals from the world that exists, not from a world that's, that's you know, uh, in heaven and hell, not from a, a world dictated by the man with the beard in the sky who's going to tell you what's right and wrong. But why, why not make morals based on what's happening in, in human life, I think is what Nietzsche would say. That's the Uberman the Uberman is strong enough to look in, in, inward and to create from the inside out as opposed to the outside in, which is what slave morality does. And there you go. Oh, there's this great quote I'm going to read you on page 47. This really uh, suffering and misery. Uh, you know, and I, I always fucking hated that too. I got to tell you, when people, you know, I grew up with a lot of drama and dog shit bullshit. And I really hated when people would say things to me like, well, you know, every it just uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It just makes you stronger. And you're like, well, what possibly, what f possible merit could come being stronger? It's it's like, well, I mean, how can you sustain a beating if you can't take a beating? Like, well, how about I just don't get beaten? How about how about I don't have to suffer? <laughs> I don't need to be stronger. How about I live a life where I don't need to be stronger? How about that? How about I never get messed with? That sounds like good to me, right? As opposed to good, meaning being capable of, of tolerating suffering. I don't fucking know. Here, page 47, The Genealogy of Morals, first essay. Oh, hold on, hold on. Okay, so the people that advocate the suffering, the ascetics is what he would say. They are miserable, no doubt of it. All these mutterers and nook counterfeiters, although they crouch warmly together, but they tell me their misery is a sign of being chosen by God. One beats the dog one likes best. Perhaps this misery is also a preparation, a testing, a schooling. Perhaps it is even more something that will one day be made good and recompensed with interest. <laughs> with huge payments of gold? No, of happiness. They call this bliss. <laughs> Right? So the idea of suffering being happiness, of denial of life, denial, 
being somehow noble, a denial of the will to power. It's, it's, it's lunacy when, when uh, he puts it that way, right? And that's why Nietzsche resents Christianity so much. Um, and uh, also he's going to say that this morbid, he calls it morbid, the morbid softening and moralization through which the animal man finally learns to be ashamed of all of his instincts. So he's going to say, he goes on in the second and third essay to talk about how this will to power, uh, asserting your will on the world, and also humans like to punish. That's another thing. He brings up the debtor and creditor system, uh, meaning, you know, those who need money and those who give money. <laughs> and back in the day, you know, nobles gave people money and they liked exacting punishment on people. They liked collecting their debts. It was pleasurable to punish um, <laughs> people like punishing other people, you know, and then the, you force people, my, he talks about punishment, wanting to force a bad conscience on people to give the bad doer guilt, but that usually doesn't happen, right? Crimin the hardest, what happens is when you try to force guilt, uh, to force the bad conscience on people, uh, on criminals, it just hardens the criminal. doesn't work that way. It's, it's, you know, look at that asshole. Who's that guy in that jinx show right now? He was arrested and there's a picture of this creepo, uh, smiling as he's in his orange jumpsuit. I mean, you think that guy has remorse? No, no. So he's saying that, Hey, guess what? Humans are hostile. They're cruel. They, uh, often take joy in persecuting and attacking others. A lot of the times the government will do that, right? Government will use that for quote, good purposes. Sometimes we do shitty things, <laughs> but, um, he thinks that to not denying the weakness, denying the, sorry, the instincts, what happens with humans is that we deny these animal instincts. And what's even worse, the thrill of punishing is gone. The thrill of exacting your punishment is gone. Is that we turn that punishment inward. Okay, and that's what that's what the slave morality does is it turns punishment inward on the subject on me myself, which is a really interesting idea, because I think this is what Freud picks up later in his whole theory of repressed libidinal desires, repression. Uh, you know, Freud goes on to say that, yeah, listen, who doesn't want to kill? Who doesn't want uh, to fuck to fuck everybody in the streets? Who doesn't want to exact revenge? I, I would love, there's so many people I would love to beat the shit out of. Or, you know, who, who doesn't want to do these things? But that, that doesn't serve society. It's not useful to society. So instead, Freud says, we sublimate these desires, these libidinal desires. We sublimate them in other things. And the highest form of which is to create something, right? Maybe you're a musician, or you're a painter, you create something and it sublimates these nasty, not nasty, rather just part of the human spectrum. That's that. See, did you see what I just did? I judged those instincts as nasty. That's my slave morality kicking in. It's just that this is part of the human experience. Uh, but yeah, Freud says sublimate that into something positive and that's how you win. So Nietzsche's going to say, don't buy into this slave morality have what is known, he says the Dionysian principle. Dionysius is a Greek god. Uh, uh, fertility. Dionysia is like reckless party. Not, it's, not, it's about celebrating life. It's life 
affirming. Um, so yeah, so instead of rather than denying life, rather than denying your instincts, rather than a denial of all things human, we should be able to a come up with a system of morality based on what's happening in the world and uh and use this creative dionysian this creative spirit to create things the will to power to to be in the sciences to be in art music all of these things and i think this is why people love nietzsche because it's very life affirming it's very you know, it's very friendly. It's very alien friendly, right? What we were talking about in the very beginning. It's the idea that, hey, man, haters are going to hate, <laughs> right? The haters, the, the naysayers, the slaves, the slave moral, slave morality people, they're not going to get you. But you know what? Screw them. You be fantastic. You be brilliant. You be as bright as you possibly can be. And that's why people like Nietzsche, because he's really saying, Hey, you go on, girl. You know what I'm saying? You go. You go. He's essentially the Oprah. No, he wasn't Oprah. But, you know, I I actually think that Nietzsche would love today's self-help culture. I think that he would love American capitalism, which, uh, you know, definitely, definitely. Americans love the noble uh, in the sense that we, we love being greedy Right, that movie, uh, Greed is Good. That movie, what is that movie with the guy and the, the playing pool and they're on Wall, Wall Street, Wall Street. Greed is good. That's an American mantra. Uh, so I think Nietzsche would really, really dig that. Uh, yeah. So there you go. He doesn't like denial. He likes, he you know, like like worldly pleasures, man. Get into it. Get into life. Don't deny your life. And don't live for the afterlife. I agree for that, right? Live live in the now, in the in the here and in the now, which is really, I think, pretty, pretty revolutionary. And this idea gets picked up, you know, by the existentialists, by Freud, Heidegger, uh, so many, so many, so many people uh, get this idea. And, and it's a sexy idea. Nietzsche's a sexy philosopher, and then he goes insane and then he dies, which is even cooler, right? It's like, it's like, man, you find this when you're 20 years old. It's just like manna from, from the sky. It's the fucking coolest thing ever. So there you go. Um, oh, here's what I wanted to say about this, man. I was watching that movie. What is it? Ins- insurgent Divergence. Jesus Christ. It's like it's too many big words. I, insurgent Divergent, whatever. And it's considered the young adult genre. This and those, uh, The Hunger Games and Twilight. Which, by the way, by the way, I've noticed that Twilight, you know that Edward Cullen, his character's like 150 years old or something. Meanwhile, he's dating cute little Kristen Stewart, who's freaking 16 in the movie. So basically, the guy's a hardcore pedophile. Like, he he knows way, way, way better than that. What a turkey. Anyways, I agree with Nietzsche here. I think it's a great idea to come up with our own uh, system of thought. I mean, our own system of morality. Do we really need to defer to the Bible to come up with values? I say no. I say that... Uh, well, you know what's great about Nietzsche, too, and this is kind of the thing, is that he kind of does 
admit to like, you know what, in the world, there are just kind of like, there's smart people, right? There's people, the Ubermen, there's people who, actually the Ubermen is in a state of becoming. I, I think he's, he's, the Ubermen he means is somebody who is awake, is out of the matrix, is thinking of their own stuff, right? Asserting their will to power. And, uh, you know what I mean? Do we really need to, 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 to revert to the Bible for everything? Maybe some people do. You know, it's, it's true that, uh, you know, Catholicism and, and religion tends to go hand in hand with, you know, uh, poor places, unfortunately, and, and, and less educated places, people, things. Um, so Nietzsche was very cognizant of that. And, uh, but yeah, let, let, let the quote masses do the religion thing. Us Ubermen, us, us, us noble of spirit. <laughs> let's come up with our own. What do you say, guys? I think number one. Okay, look, like it's not that hard. Okay, let's come up with a system of morality independent of the Bible. Here it goes. Number one, don't, don't kill, right? Don't steal. Don't rape. Don't uh, steal. We said that. What else is there? Rape, murder, stealing, cruel. Don't be mean to people. Unless you know, unless it's warranted, don't be a don't be a douchebag to other people. Unless somebody steps boundaries, and then you got to check them. But for the most part, be nice. Just be cool. Uh, let's see. Don't don't call anybody's house on a Sunday. Don't come over. I think that should be a, a rule. Don't don't make me eat at a tapas restaurant. That's another one. Don't don't even invite me if you're if the plan is tapas for the night. I'm not into it, bro. I don't want to share food. I'm 38 years old, and I don't want to share a goddamn plate of food. Don't you dare make me do that. Especially with tapas, it's such a bummer because they give you like three bites of something, and you're supposed to act like you're full, and you're just not. You're not. I think also um, you should celebrate holidays how you want to. I don't think you should honor your mother and father. I don't think that's I don't think that's a good one either. You know what I mean? Like let's take out all the stuff in the Bible about like homosexual behavior and like abortion and stuff like come on. Let's let's be real. All that stuff is in society and it changes over time. None of that stuff should be absolute. But the absolute everyone can agree on. Can we all agree that it sucks to steal uh to cheat people and to rape and murder and to be mean? Yeah. We can all agree on that. Also, also another rule. Uh, adults shouldn't have to buy each other birthday gifts. Why are you making me buy you a birthday present? What are you, what are you for? I absolutely, I hate buying birthday gifts for adults. It's, it's so ridiculous. Christmas gifts? Like, no, no, no. Just buy your own shit. That's the, that's the perk of being a grown up is you have a bank account and you can buy your own shit. Don't, don't make me buy you stuff. You lunatic. See, we did it. We just came up with our own, uh, our Uberman <laughs> system of morality. That wasn't so bad, was it? No, that wasn't so bad. All right, so there you go, guys. That's Nietzsche. I, I hope I did him justice. I think the point is, don't let the haters tell you how to live. Don't let the slave morality, don't let the slaves tell you what to do. You're an Uberman. You're a goddamn lion. Don't let those chickens tell a lion how to be a lion. You know what I'm saying? You go out, you hunt. You do lion shit. You do lion shit the way Nietzsche did lion shit. And you get syphilis from a hooker. And then you die. After you hug a horse. And then your sister takes all your work and adjusts it to Fitz Nazi propaganda. (laughs) 
what a life this man had. What a life. Oh, I also wanted to say what I love about these movies. What I love about these young adult movies and books that are happening now is that this stuff I never grew up on, man. I I grew up on the dumbest, vapid. Uh, what what was young adult in the eighties? Uh, the Sweet Valley High twins. What? Oh, you mean I, I get to read about a couple of a couple of blonde sluts blowing football players? Is that the extent of my young adult education? I mean, I I'm trying to even think about the dumb crap that I read. I don't even think there was a young adult genre besides those stupid Sweet Valley High. What Nancy Drew? Nancy Drew books for children. Judy Bloom was good. I like Judy Bloom, but that's for yeah. Judy Bloom was young adult. She taught you about your period and Frenching. R- Ramona Quimby, age eight. I like that. <laughs> but this young adult genre now is so awesome. I mean, I, it blew my mind to watch this Divergent Insurgent Divergent movie where this girl, she's a young girl, and she's like the hero. She's the center of the story, and she's kicking ass, and it's not like the typical ass-kicky stuff where you see women, like, you know, in the in the cat suit, like, she's kicking ass. Like, she doesn't have to be like that. She's just like this, She's she's got concern and fear. She's taking the... She's taking the hero's journey, which is something that I see more and more of now in today's culture where women are taking the hero's journey. And I think it's that's the will to power. That I think Nietzsche would dig. Well, I don't know if he liked women, but that is a really fucking cool uh, cultural thing I see now. And I really dig it. And I like those, uh, the Hunger Games too, or Katniss is the, the hero. You know, she's saving dudes. She's saving her boyfriend. The girl is now the hero. And I think, you know, hey, I wasn't lucky enough to grow up around these kind of messages. And um, I, it's, so, it's so crucial for women to assert their power, man. I got to tell you. And you don't even realize it sometimes how, you, how we don't. And I heard this great quote from Roseanne Barr. She said, listen, no one's going to give you power. You have to take it. And I agree with that, man, wholeheartedly. I agree with that. And, and women... Listen, forget about thigh gap. Forget about, you know, it's enjoy these things, mascaras and heels and, and hair extensions or whatever the hell you're into. Enjoy it, but know that it does not define you. This world does not define you. It never can. You know why? Because it changes all the time. And you do you. You go from the inside out. You are the Uberman. You fucking take life by the balls, bros. And you be that lion. You be the Superman. I love it. That's all I got, guys. I hope you enjoy it. I want to go out on... Oh, I love this song. I want to go out on this song. Oh, by David Bowie. By David Bowie, the Superman. So read your Nietzsche, kids. I think it's good. I think it's so good. I love it. Let's get fired up. All right, you guys. This is it. This is my nihilist episode. <laughs> Uh, is he a nihilist? I don't know. I, people say that Nietzsche's a big nihilist. I don't, maybe. Pro- probably. Why? Because God's not in the equation. He said God is dead. By the way, did I mention that? Nietzsche's responsible for God is dead. But he said that because he saw it on the horizon. He saw with science, with the progression of humankind, that the idea of God is dead. We don't need God to tell us what to do. We don't need to defer 
to a guy in the sky to tell us how to live. That's what God is dead meant. And he called himself the Antichrist, which is pretty rad, too. <laughs> this guy took a lot of shit. Not in his life. I think no one cared about Nietzsche so much. I mean, he was like a big deal in the universities, but not. he didn't get super famous until later, until after he died. But uh, pretty balls, man. So go out there. I'm going to do me. I'm going to be as ballsy as I can. You be as ballsy as you can. Because you know why? You're going to fucking die one day. You're going to die. You're, we're all going to die. And that's, right? Like Nietzsche said, it's not meant to cloud your entire existence. It's actually meant to put a break into your day and, and to give you a little bit of levity. A little space between you and what's happening to you. Because it's all going to end. Just enjoy it. All right, guys. Have a great week. And uh, that's been deep, bro. <laughs> When all the world was very young Mountain magic heavy hung The supermen would walk in file Guardians of a loveless isle And gloomy browed with super fear Their endless tragic lives could heave no sigh And solemn perverse serenity Wondrous beings chained to life <laughs> Strange games they would play then No death for the perfect men Life rolls into one for them So softly a super god Minds in unithought Powers weird by mystics taught No pain, no joy, no power to great Colossal strength to grasp a fate Where sad-eyed mermen tossed in slumbers Nightmare dreams no mortal mind could hold Man would tear his brother's flesh A chance to die, to turn to mold
Christina P, aka Miss Jeans. This ain't your mom's house. It's a different theme. Gotta be critically thinking. Like you caught up at a cocktail party, our thoughts start to sink in. John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates. Got us talking all properly, topically. Just a comedian discussing these philosophies. Serious questions, silly people. What's that? What's that? That's tea, bro. It is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. That's deep.